from Green Biz Group. Welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. Let the science drive the, the decision-making process and then chase the business case that, that's, that's consistent with the science. And we, again, really feel like that helps drive a more productive discussion with, with the business leaders. Kevin Rabinovich is Global Vice President for Sustainability at Mars Incorporated. He spoke with Alistair Hurst, Senior Vice President of Global Supply Chain at Kellogg Company, and Gwen Megida, Vice President, Social Impact, and Chief Sustainability Officer at Caesars Entertainment at the Green Biz Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. The conversation was moderated by J.P. Laus, who heads strategic partnerships at the World Resources Institute. They discussed why leading businesses are pursuing science-based targets related to climate change and land and water use. Let's listen in. So, yeah, I have a big idea. I didn't come up with it, so I can't take credit for it. But um, what if we set corporate targets that actually solve the problem? So rather than moving incrementally year to year every 10 years, we actually set something that we knew that if we all do this together, we're actually going to solve the problem. And that's kind of the thesis behind science-based targets. And what we've been seeing pretty excitingly is that this idea has been infiltrating other impact areas. Um, now WRI with many other groups are working on context-based targets with water, looking at uh, land impacts and even the social side of the sustainability equation. So we're, that's what we're getting into this morning. And uh, we're not going to wonk out on the geeky stuff around uh, methodologies, but we're going to talk about the business case. And then, uh, Ellen, I'm going to tee it over to you in a few minutes here to see what we got from Sidebar. But before we get started, I want my friends to introduce themselves. So, Alistair, kick us off. Hi, good morning. I'm Alistair Hurst. I'm Senior Vice President Global Supply Chain for the Kellogg Company. Been with the company 35 years, worked in Asia, Europe, uh, Africa, and uh, now in the U.S. Hi, Gwen Megita from Caesars Entertainment, the uh, VP of Inclusion, Social Impact, and Chief Sustainability Officer. Uh, Kevin Rabinovich with uh, Mars, Global VP of Sustainability. Uh, I lead all of the work on what we call our Healthy Planet program, essentially our, our environmental program. Uh, very happy to be here today. Great. So, Kevin, I want to say it was maybe two years ago, you came to WRI with an interesting proposition, and I think it went something like, um, I really like science-based targets because I can have a fundamentally different conversation internally. Um, I'm not fighting for what the target should be um, and, and using capital on that. We're actually having a more interesting and impactful conversation of, you know, we're a science-based organization. This is what the science says the target should be. How do we get there? And basically, I think that it was WRI... Can I have that conversation on water? Can I do that around land? Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what were you grappling with internally around these other impact areas um, that led you to kind of thinking about this? Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe to sort of back up a little bit, the, the way we got to that point on climate was uh, sort of 2008, 2009, as we were really organizing our sustainability program, sort of cast our eye over the landscape, said what matters, clearly climate, which means we need a GHG target. And... Uh, you know, we went, we went to the science first to start with the science, and, and we brought that to the, to, to the leadership internally. And, and the almost inadvertent insight then was, you know, myself, who was at that point just starting to learn more about climate science, having a conversation with the head of our manufacturing units about what is the, like, what should a climate target be is completely the wrong discussion, because neither of us have any idea what we're talking about. Right? <laughs> so, you know, better to say, well, the science says this, you know, people who do know what they're talking about have said, here's, you know, carbon budget, two degrees C, all this kind of stuff. Let's have a conversation about what we could do inside of our business that would be consistent with delivering those targets. 
that's a useful conversation. You know, I spent at that point 13 years in R&D. You know, these people had spent decades running our manufacturing organizations. We can have a conversation about what to do in our factories and things like that. So that was the, that was really the insight for us. So once we were up and running with that for a number of years when we came to work with WRI, the question was can we take that same idea of let's not have an argument about what the targets should be. Let's let the science drive that discussion. Let's have the argument about whether we can do in our business what needs to be done to be consistent with the science, because then you're having a much more productive discussion. So it, it worked on climate, so we, we took it to, to water and land, which led to the, the paper, which actually the title of the session is also the title of a paper that we've published with WRI, and then ultimately to the targets that we've committed to under our, our sustainable energy generation plan. Talk to us a little bit about the difference. Um, we had Nestle Waters uh, up here yesterday talking about kind of, you know, greenhouse gases you can emit, um, you know, a, a unit in China, you can emit a unit in Chicago, pretty much the same thing in terms of as far as the atmosphere is concerned and from an enterprise level. Um, water is fundamentally different. It's not just about qualitative or, or quantitative, it's also qualitative, regulatory, social issues there. Talk to us about the difference in the challenges around setting context-based targets for water and what that means and why it's worth the work. Yeah, so I think this is, it, it's sort of a natural extension of following the science, right? You know, so when you're talking about climate change, there's one atmosphere, it all mixes, you know, you can, you can have those conversations. When you talk about water, you know, if I do a water conservation project in Canada somewhere, it's not gonna help here in Phoenix, right? So, so and the science tells you that, right? So, so you need to have more partitioned conversations. But again, it gets back to, you know, sort of let the science drive the, the decision-making process and then chase the business case that, that's, that's consistent with the science. And we, again, really feel like that helps drive a more productive discussion with, with the business leaders. But I guess one of the questions that, that I would have for, for Alistair is so when, when people like me and, and many of my peers in the room show up selling that story to, to folks like you that are on, you know, having to make those decisions, uh, are you buying? Does it work? <laughs> Can we answer that now? Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> Great question. Well, I think primarily being a global food company, the first thing I'd ask you is what does the consumer want? What does our consumer want? What does our customer want? And then only lastly, what's the business case internally? So we're very focused on what uh, drives our consumer's behavior that will, whatever we do, they will drive purchases of our product. But at the same time, you know, as a global food company and 95% of our uh, ingredients are plant-based, uh, we've, we are very aware and as good stewards uh, of the planet, at least we like to think so, that you know, as we look at climate change, we look at uh, global poverty, we look at food security, and then the fourth one for me is supply resilience. So I, I look at all these things and take this all into account and go, right, the business case isn't just about the pure financials. It, it's about consumer, customer, what our strategy is, and the financials are part of that. Uh, and I must say, as we've matured through our scope one, two, and three uh, commitments, um, we're finding much more stronger business cases uh, around those criteria, co consumer, customer, stake, shareholder, than we did when we started with the scope one, which was just basically about, you know, cut back on utilities, gas, energy, greenhouse gas, water. So we've matured a lot in that journey, but the business case has also matured with us. Makes sense. Gwen, I want to pivot over to you. So we've been talking about some kind of pretty bread and butter, uh, you know, material issues for most businesses, climate, water, land. Um, 
talk to us a little bit more about kind of the social side of the sustainability spectrum. Um, it's difficult enough to kind of put some numbers around and hit science-based targets around some of these more physical issues, um, but when we start thinking about kind of the social side that gets even more squishier, talk to us about your work in that and, and kind of how does, how does one put rigor behind these goals? Sure. So I think it, it all starts with materiality, right? So a material core product in our business is uh, casino gambling. gambling. If you look at casino gambling, we can look at the context of our operations globally. But beyond that, based on researchers and science, what is the extent of compulsive behaviors, whether it be in America, Canada, UK, wherever we operate, compulsive behavior. You back into that, what the propensity of someone to have from compulsive behaviors, compulsive gaming disorders, so that there's roughly 1% to 1 of the American population is potentially a compulsive gambler. If that's the case, <coughs> we need to build in these targets, bricks, mortars, I mean, everything from intervention programs, exclusion programs, policies around marketing, advertising, where, how, when we market to potential customers, and then the audits around it, which happen every month. Um, it has to be consistently across the enterprise, exclusion programs, if you are excluded in the UK, you come to uh, Joliet uh, and Harrah's there, you're excluded there. Um, I think beyond that, it has to also have the training aspects of it. So our, one, of our, one of our publicly facing targets there is the 100% um, of the employees who are trained. So everyone's trained, over 70,000 employees are responsible gaming. The managers are about 800 of them who are ambassadors of them. Are they feeling empowered to mitigate and to intervene with responsible gaming? public-facing targets by 2020. So there's others behind it. I think, on a, as Kevin mentioned, on the context-based areas, it really has to be local or actually boundaries. So Southern Nevada, where 80% of our revenue currently is, we, we created a social sustainability master plan, presented it to the, the cities and key anchor nonprofits. So there, what are the top material challenges there? Uh, counter youth homelessness, integration of immigrant populations, and counter youth trafficking. So there, what's a systemic target there that not just we own, but the region owns, and it has to be baked into the regulatory and other aspects. So a target in counter youth could be in the next uh, three years, or five years, reduce the homeless youth rate by 30% as a region. And it, this includes three counties, or three, three cities. Uh, counter trafficking, zero youth incarceration rate of juveniles by 2025. So there's, it's a really shift in it, which entails foster care systems and a host of other services. Gwen, if you don't mind if I ask a question. So uh, the idea of, of you know, so you talked about, you know, exclusion or, or you know, helping, you know, prevent the, some of the, these, you know, people that have this, you know, risk of, of compulsive gambling. Excuse me. It's an interesting idea in that it, it kind of implies foregoing revenue. Right, because you're basically saying th these are these are these are customers that want our product, but we know it's it's not really the best thing for them to, to sort of consume in an unlimited fashion. Um, how does that discussion play out internally? Of you know, yes, you, you're you're missing a little slice of pie on the revenue chart, but there's a there's a bigger picture of why it's the right thing to do because because sure. that comes up in some of our categories as well about you know stop using this material or things like that. I think if you really baking it into the culture of the business. I mean, I think easier said than done. The RG, Responsible Gaming Program has been around for about 30 years, but beyond that, you got new executives, new direction, new business. We used to be 20% non-gaming, now we're 80% non-gaming in some markets. So, and, you know, social gaming, et cetera. So I think the, the revenue 
piece is very important. It's integrity around the natural tension to have in the business and to have the executives in the right places. Um, we regularly do forego revenue, particularly when there's a, a you know, kids arcades, for example, or marketing to youth organizations. That's not something that we do. Um, and as, as Gaiman expanded to rivers, uh, river boats around the country, um, really, even the check cashing and where things are cashed around employment checks, we don't do that. Um, huge. And it's a commitment that we've made. I think we built it into, it's a social license to operate for a gaming company. Social license to operate, right? They will, a new jurisdiction will be open to um, building a, another type of business there, but for us, we get taxed at much higher levels. We want to be accepted in a community. It always comes down to responsible gaming and how lock, stock, and barrel we go, have to go well beyond the law to remain operating there. And it gets more difficult in other countries, like in Japan, et cetera. There's a lot more sensitivity around that license to operate. So. Interesting. So, Alistair, social license to operate, you had mentioned uh, customer consumer engagement. I'd love to kind of tease out from you a little bit more um, the dynamic the, of, your t of kind of your team and your remit within the organization to the sustainability team and Diane and her colleagues. Talk to us a little bit about kind of how good ideas get to you and turn into business strategy. Yeah, well, we look for internal ideas and we have like a Go Green committee that we have uh, across the globe where people internally can come up with uh, any, any sort of idea. So at the moment, we've got an anti-plastic drive going on that we're, we're kicking off this year. Uh, within all our facilities. Um, but at the same time, it's externally focused. We've, we have to be an externally focused company. So we're looking for the trends. We're looking for um, what our various demographic, demographics of our customers, consumers are looking for. So if you think about the younger generations, the millennials, uh, they, they, there's more of a looking for companies with a purpose and, and more of a purpose around you know, helping protect the planet, doing uh, things like uh, we're doing here at the uh, casino for gambling and those sort of things. So that's how we then sort of try and formulate our strategy around some of those. But one of the things I'd tell you that's key with working with Diane is that uh, we don't look at this as like sustainability projects. We build this and embed this into our daily work and everything we do. So when Diane comes to us and talks about greenhouse gas reduction or, or waste reduction or those things, that's built into our daily cadence, our daily direction setting in the plant, and it's what we expect our employees and our plant managers to do. When you extrapolate that out into, our, uh, uh, into the field where we've got our growers and everything, we've got some pretty good targets there of uh, you know, having 500,000 uh, smallholder farmers uh, in, the, in the next 10 years. We've already got 300,000 that we do, and, and 10,000 of those are women farmers. So we try and take this out there through our normal day-to-day -day business, and that's built into our procurement objectives. It's built into our regional objectives. Uh, and you know what they say is what, get measured, what gets measured gets managed. And we're supply chain. So we've got more data than you can stake a, stake a sh shake a sticker. <laughs> right? So, uh, but what you've got to do with the data, and this is where it comes in, it's critical around the sustainability piece and the science-based metrics, is choosing the data that's important, that's going to give you the insight that leads to action, leads to result. And if you don't like the result, you go back round again. And if you do like the result, keep doing more of what you're doing. But that's how we focus on it, prioritize. And uh, like I say, it isn't Diane coming to try and sell us anything. This is, uh, we know this is the right thing for the business and for our consumer and customer. 
from a global supply chain to a global network of interested folks around the planet watching Green Biz right now. Sidebar, I'm curious if you have any questions um, from folks around the planet or the room for our panels. Your question, you're, you're asking a lot of the questions that we're getting, so, um, <laughs> which is good. You're a very good moderator, so that's very excellent. Um, we were thinking a lot about context-based targets in the context of some of these cities that have the most dire resource issues right now. Cape Town, as you know, um, running out of water day zero, zero potable water left by, I think, April or earlier than that. Um, Karachi, Pakistan, Flint, Michigan is still dealing with issues, Kentucky, et cetera. How do you, are you operating in cities where there are some serious constraints, um, not necessarily via water, but, and how do you engage with this, those particular cities and communities? So I think I would love to have two different perspectives, one from uh, Mars and then Gwen. I seem to think that maybe Caesars might have a presence in a water-stressed part of the world. Um, so may, I don't know. Um, but Kevin, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so uh, part of the Mars business is what we call our, our Mars food business, which is sort of focused on main meal food. Um, we have a factory in Cape Town um, that, uh, that has, you know, seen this coming for, for years in the sense that they're in a stressed watershed and, and seen the imminent crisis coming for, for a, number of, uh, a number of months. So, you know, they're doing work to, to drill actually boreholes on property uh, to essentially access some of the, the deeper reservoirs of water that are available and then also using that to help support our associates and, and the local community. But I think really what, what happens in a, in a situation like that is, is at some level you're seeing, you're seeing sort of a failure of collective governance right you know so it's a again very much like climate in that case you've got a you've got a shared resource which is water um, and you know there is there's there's not enough action or coordination or both of of everyone that's in that watershed to to sort of avoid the issues uh, and some of that could be short term you know restrictions have been put in place and and you know those haven't been held to or they could be longer term in terms of how the infrastructure has been developed and, and you know, how zoning and things like that have been done. And one of the real powerful things about, about science or, or context-based targets is they can become a, a unifying thread uh, for everyone to organize their thinking around and it makes it then easier to have collective discussions. If, if everyone care, even if everyone cares about the issue, if they, if they care slightly differently about it and think about it in slightly different ways, you still run the risk of, a, of sort of a fractured outcome. So I think the more we can not only within our own businesses, but sort of collectively amongst everyone gets it. Yeah, two degrees C, go chase that. You know, baseline water stress under 40%. Yeah, go chase that. Whatever the number is, for whatever the metric is, if, if everyone's shooting for the same thing, you stand a better chance of actually hitting the goal and, and either solving the problem or avoiding the crisis or, you know, whatever the aim is. So I think on, for a domestic example, if you, the social sustainability example I gave we really looked at root issues, or actually root solutions and bridges between the social issues. So root solution in that area would be mental health, mental health care for immigrant populations, youth, and counter-trafficking victims. So if you look at how to fix that mental health piece, I mean, it's a huge landscape on a, a national level, but um, there are plans in the works and proposed for systemic answers for that piece. I think for the other example on water, because we get this a lot, um, 40 million visitors in the U.S. for the last 20 years, since the 1990s, we essentially used roughly the same amount of water as we did 20 years ago because of very integrative approaches, we being the region. So the gaming industry, actually the strip corridor and all of the hundreds, hundreds of thousands of hotel rooms use 7%, 7 
of uh, all water in, in the region. Um, very aggressive water um, conservation incentives and other uh, retrofits there. Um, but also, what are the targets of our watershed levels? It's really a regional solution with the, the authority and tri-state tri -state compacts as well. Interesting. So. So just a little bit of time left on the clock, I want to ask uh, each of you this question and, and hear your quick reflections for folks that have come from far and wide and are, uh, I think you have a neat, unique opportunity after being inundated with all sorts of cool information for the past three days, you're going to be one of the last people these people hear from. So, you know, um, curious, you each have had success getting um, the science-based target kind of mindsets integrated into the business of your relative organizations and had commitments made on this. Um, Talk to us about what are the key success factors that you would impart upon uh, our friends in the audience um, as they're thinking about doing so, whether it's in greenhouse gases or other areas. Alistair, you want to kick us off? Well, I think for, for me, it's defining what success looks like. If you, know, if you define what success looks like, that metric, and not something that's so lofty, and that, you know, the 2050 target that many of us have on uh, renewable energy, for example, how you chunk that down into manageable pieces that the organization is motiva motivated by it, they can get wins, they can see the progress, rather than you give them so far out and visionary that nobody really knows how to get there. Uh, so that would be my thing, is define what success looks like, put the metrics in place, have a cadence around following up with it, and, you know, and, and don't be scared to change direction. One of the things that's most difficult in this space is that some of the ideas and plans we have don't pan out as well as we'd like them. But that doesn't mean you give up. You, you go back to the drawing board and you think, think of something else. I think one thing that I'll leave you with from me is that uh, if you think about where technologies come from in the last 30 years, and you think what we don't know in the next 30 years, I'm very optimistic that we're going to find solutions to many of the problems in the world at the moment. But I just don't know what it'll be. Right. Gwen? Okay. <laughs> so I think it's meeting internally, right? Meeting people where they are at, speaking their language. Now that we have our 20-year targets or what have you, it's intentionally brought people from other parts of the business to work in our department. So hospitality analytics, our new inclusion director is from there. We have a new VP of policy from legal. Really shifting the way that we're speaking internally to really sell our case into that, their business case, other departments. Yeah, I guess maybe sort of building on, on both of those is I would say, you know, make, if you're in sustainability, which most of us are, I guess, um, make what you're trying to drive in your business, your organization, make it look like what your organization already does, right? So, so find ways to structure your metrics that are recognizable, that, that are familiar, right? You know, d don't, don't try and change how people do what they do. If they're used to scorecards that look like this, and right, then don't, don't fight that, right? You're trying to change what they're doing, not, not the how. And, and the more it looks familiar, um, the more likely you are to succeed. You know, the, the one thing that business is undeniably good at is having a numerical target, chasing after it, and delivering it. We're just used to all those being financial targets, right? So, so leverage that, right? Hook, hook onto that. Um, you know, make, make our goals look like, just measured in different units maybe, but look like the sort of goals that people are used to dealing with. Okay. Thank you. Green Biz, thanks for your time today. Please thank my friends. You've been listening to Kevin Rabinovich of Mars, Alistair Hurst of the Kellogg Company, and Gwen Megida of Caesars Entertainment in conversation with J.P. Laus of World Resources Institute at the Green Biz 18 conference in Phoenix, Arizona. 
For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.